Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Noise, the podcast series from PR Week. I'm Frankie Oliver, your host and founder of New Society. And today I'm joined by PR Week Editor-in-Chief, Danny Rogers. Hi, Danny. Hi, Frankie. You better? Yes, getting there. Bit croaky, but getting there. Thank you. And our special guest, Joanne Robertson, CEO of Global Markets at Ketchum. Hi. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. So we had such a great conversation, gosh, just a matter of months ago, wasn't it, um, on Women in PR for International Women's Day. So it's great to have you back so soon. Thank you. Um, and excitingly, this year, and really the theme for today's show, is that you are the uh, president of the PR Lions jury at the Cannes Lions this year. So I think jump in with our first question really, which is so so what made you want to be, you know, a president? And and I and I guess you probably judged a number of times previously. Yeah, well I judged for the first time last year. So I was a member of the jury last year and I thoroughly enjoyed the experience. And it felt it was a real honour to have that amount of time with the best work in our industry. You know, the process from judging that first piece of work in the first round through to awarding your Grand Prix is almost three months. Wow. And so to really have that opportunity to evaluate and learn and the richness of the discussion in the room. Now, our jury last year was wonderful, chaired with the ama- by the amazing uh, Judy John Edelman. But it was such a diverse mix of characters and the debate we had, I changed my mind multiple times I changed other people's minds and so that experience is a once in a lifetime or now for me it's going to be twice in a lifetime yeah Uh, and so when they approached me to be the president I absolutely jumped at the chance I think it's a it's a real honor and so how many people are actually on the jury so there's 10 of us it's 10 yeah yeah I should be clear there's kind of there's different types of juries so we have a short listing jury 
so that's people who only do this first round and they do it online. And then we have the awarding jury who do the first round. So they also do the online shortlisting and then they do the in-room actual discussion and awarding. So it takes multiple people. I mean, the PR category gets about 1,700 entries. Wow. So it's huge in terms of what you have to get through. Is that number 1,700 higher than last year? Yeah. It is. It's gone up, yeah, which is great to see. So have you, every single judge, I'm just thinking about this, every single judge has to read 1,700 entries? No, we, we no, do 400, yeah. Right. So each, we, we divided into kind of groups. Each of us get about 400 in this first round. But even 400 is insane because it's a two-minute case film per entry. And one of the things that's really important and which I really respect Can's commitment to, you know, we've all had to do unconscious bias training. This year, we've all had to do DEI and cultural awareness training because it's really easy when you're judging that volume of work. You see a piece of work and you don't understand it and you interpret that in your brain as it not being good. If I don't understand it, it can't be good. But actually, when you're judging work from Japan, South Korea, Belgium, you know, all over the world, you can't possibly be culturally in tune with every single market globally. So kind of what we've trained, been trained to do is when you don't understand it, that's when you go deeper. So there's loads of supporting materials. There's the written entry. And in the written entry, there's a piece which is uh, there for the team to describe the cultural relevance of the campaign. You can then ask questions back to the CAN team. If you still don't understand it, they'll come back with more data. I do a lot of Googling. I'm like, is this really a thing in Brazil? Like, I'm going like, to go and have a look if it's real or is it made up? Um, and so it's it's a really enriching process, but it's incredibly time-consuming. And having done it last year, I definitely started too late last year. And then like by the time How I was, long has it taken you? I mean, it must be a couple of weeks at least. Yeah, it's basically a month since I started. Yeah. And I try to do an hour a day. Some days that happens, some days it doesn't. Yeah, I've got a full-time job plus two little children to balance it all in mm. with. But I was really determined this year, having experienced it last year, every piece of work would get the same amount of respect. So from all those 1,700, at the end of the day... On by the Wednesday, I believe it can. You've got to have one Grand Prix winner. That's right. A number of gold lines, a number of silver lines, and a number of bronze lines. That's that's what the end. Yeah, is. usually they say we award between thirty and forty pieces of work when you go through bronze, silver, gold, and Grand Prix. So yeah, it's a tiny number that will actually be awarded at the end of the day. And it's your job as president to work out the final the final winners. Indeed, yeah, and it's you know it's hard because. Creativity is so subjective, right? And that's fundamentally, I had to really remind myself of this at can last year, is this is about creative excellence. And you can get mired into like the execution and the, you know, the results or the impact of the metric. But if you boil it all down, what was the creative idea that led to this incredible impact? Like that's where you keep going back to. And creativity is subjective. So we've all got a different perspective on what is and isn't creative. So it's it's a hard job. More than the results? Definitely more than the results. Look, results, and this, again, was a huge learning for me last year. When you're looking at results, as we normally see them in entries, whether that's, you know, reach, engagement. You know, if you're comparing a campaign that was just in India versus a campaign that was just in Belgium, 
you're not comparing apples with apples, right? So the results become slightly irrelevant. And the guidance I've given the jury this year is the results, you can't compare them, so it's impact. What impact did this campaign have for the brand or the organisation or the cause? But how did it, if this campaign hadn't have happened, what would have, would anything have been different? And that's a really interesting way to look at it. And you can look at it from a commercial point of view in terms of sales, uh, in terms of brand expanding geographically, whatever it might be. And you can look at it from a purpose point of view. Did you actually change something? People's lives, legislation, whatever it might be. So if you boil it down to impact, it kind of makes it easier to then compare and contrast. Yeah, no, absolutely. Danny and I were just discussing our conversation that we had with Mark Perkins last year for Cannes. And actually just the quality of the entry and how much investment needs to go into the entry, especially from a video perspective, if you think you're judging 400 awards there. What would your advice be, do you think, for people who are submitting? Sounds like you're incredibly diligent, but I can't even... Not everyone is. Not everyone will be. Some of my fellow Jewish (laughs) will remain nameless, did not quite do it in the same way. Well, look, the thing is you... It's like human nature. If it hasn't caught you in those first 15 to 20 seconds, it's going to be hard to get you back. And that's the video, And that's the video. And the The first thing we all all look at is we press play on the case film. It's the first thing we all do. We don't kind of read the written entry first or straight into the case film. So it's incredibly important. But what I I notice is, like what I'm looking for in an amazing entry is, you know, is it earned at the core it's the PR category so number one like if I see another billboard I'm gonna cry the amount of billboards <laughs> that came just, up in the conversation last year oh, as well it's ridiculous well, it's, isn't it honestly like as soon as that's, that's the idea I'm like that's not PR but oh, you know gosh. so earned at the core is it culture first is this living and breathing the culture of the market that it is in and then what is the impact so you know that's how I'm kind of assessing it you can get that across in the first like 15 to 20 seconds of the video where you understand the reason you understand that it's earned you understand why it's living and where it's living and you see the impact and you're like okay and you lean into it you can feel yourself physically be like okay I want to watch this whole video I want to learn more so many of the case films and often it is it underlines that it's not a great idea if it takes them two minutes to actually explain it to you like there's a beautiful kind of thing in simplicity and it's hard to get a simple creative idea right if it was easy we'd all be doing it every day of the week but that first 15 to 20 seconds is critical so nail your story in that and then expand it and build on it but yeah that's that would be my advice okay so um like you joanne i've been to can i don't know how many times but certainly since pr was introduced the pr lines were introduced I think probably about 12, 13 years ago. So there's some scepticism about CAN for our audience on this podcast, which of course is, is both agency executives and also people who work in-house for clients. Um, how useful a platform is are the CAN lions in terms of how do how does the PR industry learn from what's happening at CAN? Is it still relevant to our audience? I think it is. I, I truly believe that it is the best creative work in the world is submitted to Cannes. And I know there's so much angst about ad agencies winning the PR category year after year. And look, it would be my dream to be the president who awards the first PR agency, the Grand Prix. But 
creativity can come from anywhere and earned first creativity can come from anywhere and as we look at how the world has changed over the last five to ten years the swim lanes have become less distinct so you see the big global PR agencies playing as much and above the line as the big ad agencies are trying to play in the earn space so I'm a firm believer that all is fair and love and war and I think we as the PR industry I think there's a lot we can learn from how the ad agencies build an idea often we don't take it far enough so you know you look at some of the work that's celebrated here in the UK in the PR industry very creative work we've got some of the best creative boutiques in the world but often they're one and done ideas they're amazing stunts they're amazing moments in time but you kind of then from a can when you put your can hat on you're like but where's the longevity how did it live and breathe in culture beyond that one moment and that's where I think we need to start to evolve our thinking so look at some of the Grand Prix winners you know, there was one other thing I love about being on the jury, Frankie, you'll think this is hilarious, is how many people come and tell you you were wrong afterwards. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, well, we awarded um, the Breakaway Decathlon Belgian uh, case last year, the Grand Prix. And the number of people afterwards who were like, oh, that should never have won for this reason, that reason, the next reason, which I love a good debate. So fine with me. But that's a great example of earned at the core. It was a simple, simple idea, but very brave for a sports brand to go into prisons. Like, I mean, I I would just imagine that conversation as I'm pitching that idea to some of my big clients and it being shut down faster than you could ever imagine. So the bravery of the brand and the agency to come together to do something with that group, but also the layering of the campaign was incredible from, you know, the, there was a public affairs angle. There was an above the line. So it changed angle. the it changed the government's attitude. Changed legislation, yeah. So on, on prisoners, yeah, and, and, and how they, they treated prisoners. We rolled the the out across that actually the the investing in physical and mental health and giving prisoners an opportunity to feel connected to the outside world, even though it was through e cycling, was incredibly powerful in terms of them re entering society. And so, you know, for me, the layering of that campaign was incredible. And we don't do that often enough. Where did that idea come from? Did it come from the PR agency or did it come from the client? No, or? it was client. Uh, it came from uh, the ad agency. Ad agency, there you go. So it was an and ad agency. I was, I was going to say, that's one of the problems. The, one of the reasons for the scepticism about CanLine is that often the PR category is won by ad agencies and people feel do they really have the best PR ideas? But as you say, maybe it's because they have similar ideas, but they're better at following them through or they've got more credibility? Well, I mean, I think that's also what the position of the PR agency is also with the client, right? I mean, I always remember there was a, a brilliant talk that my former joint MD, Bruce, did at an event once talking about the Walkers Give Us a Flavour campaign. Mm-hmm. And he followed it all the way through in terms of if you went into the marketing department, if you went in through the comms department, And of course, the punchline to the whole thing was obviously we know the Give Us a Flavour campaign and how incredibly successful it's been. But actually, if it had gone the comms route, it would have ended up as a survey about your favourite flavour of crisps in the metro, rather than necessarily gaining that big platform that took it all the way through the business. And, And I think we do. It's not that we don't, you know, a shortage of ideas, but finding the right idea in the right room with the with the right 
client totally. in the business is also really important, isn't it? One hundred percent. And also the where I think ad agencies simply have more experience, but PR agencies are starting to do this too. Is we can go with a big idea, but what ad agencies do is then they start to bolt on other agencies. So, you know, you look at the number of times PR agencies are credited in, I mean, Ketchum in a number of instances credited in Grand Prix winning work across the Can Lions where we played an integral role, but we didn't have that. We weren't the ideators. Same with Weber Shamwick. Same I mean, with Weber. Many, many credits, not yeah. that many Grand Prix in, in PR. Yeah, and where it's where you are clearly the ideator. Now, like this year, we as Ketchum have got two great entries where we are the idea and I'm hoping they do really really well but we need more of that and it's there's a bit as well which is a numbers game right how many times are PR agencies entering where they are the lead idea and it truly is that creative excellence it truly is multi-layered it truly does have business impact or you know societal impact and I don't think we challenge ourselves it's easy kind of to sit and be like oh was but the ad agencies are doing it and not, not always well. I mean, they're just <laughs> the number of ideas that are submitted that are not very good at all as well. But like, I, I don't think that we don't have the skill to do it. I am absolutely confident that the quality I see across the industry, and I'll calling out this market, I'm the UK, I think the quality of the people and the talent and the agencies in PR in the UK, they can win a Grand Prix, but they have to come at it from a, a more... 360 perspective and they have to take that nugget of an idea they have and work it as hard as they can and lay it and make sure that they're bringing the client to your point frankly on that journey with them but a PR agency will win the Grand Prix and they might not win it in the PR lines you know that Edelman did so well last year in other categories so you know I think there's we could win Grand Prix. We don't have to stay in our swim lane, just seems as the ad agencies don't stay in theirs. I think Edelman shared a Grand Prix, didn't they, about six or seven years ago with Chipotle, right. um, that Scarecrow yes, I campaign. That. Mm-hmm. I think they shared it with Creative Artists Agency, who possibly came up with the, the film idea. Mm. And I think Weber Shamwick won a Grand Prix, maybe it was a gold, right at the beginning of PR. when it Wasn't it some sort of farming for pig farming Sounds campaign. familiar, yeah. yes. But I think you're right. There's never really been a PR agency that's won a Grand Prix on its own. As the idea. As the idea as the generator. lead idea. Yeah. That's, that's the dream, really. So looking at this year's work then, are there any key themes and sort of flavours of work that you can see kind of coming through? Yeah, I mean, I was just going to talk about the detail now, but there are some amazing partnerships. I've seen some really beautiful work of different brands coming together where it makes complete sense and the impact has been phenomenal. So I'm excited to see that celebrated. There's some absolutely beautiful purpose work again. Uh, I'd say less than last year, for sure, in terms of the volume that I've seen. There might be more in the, the other cohorts that the other judges have been judging, but some beautiful pieces. But actually the thing I'm most excited about is the pure play brand work. I Last year, I was a big advocate in the room for pure play brand. It's, you know, I think it is what we do for the majority of our time every day. And I don't think it's celebrated anywhere near enough. I also think it's the hardest thing to do uh, in the creative space. But there is some wonderful work in the pure play brand space this year. And by pure play brand work, do you mean 
that generates sales. Commercial work, yeah. That doesn't rely on, you know, a cause or a purpose where it is purely about elevating the brand in consumers' minds so that they buy more. And so it might be about increasing sales, increasing market share. It might be about, you know, entering new markets and geographies. But work that doesn't rely on something else, it's the pure creative play on that brand and that product. Um, yeah, I think there's some really special work this year. Yeah, I think many creative directors of and our listeners will be pleased about that. There's been, it's been a criticism, hasn't it? That yeah. PR uh, has tended, the PR lines have tended to go to campaigns that are on gender diversity or ethnic diversity or sustainability. And there's been a a lack of focus on really good creative ideas that just drive good old fashioned sales. So, and I think a bit of that is our attitude to it. I think we're a bit snobby about that sort of pure play brand work. Like it's, I mean, I remember in the room last year, uh, and if any of my fellow jurors from last year listen to this, they will be laughing already because they know exactly what I'm going to say. There was a massive debate about the Heinz hot dog pact which from the very first time I saw it in round one judging right the way through to it being awarded a silver, I was like, this piece of work is beautiful because it didn't rely on anything else other than the creative magic of the team that put it together. It totally understood the role that Heinz Ketchup played in its ecosystem. It Built on, I mean, as a mum, when I saw it, it spoke to me. This is like the fact that you get eight hot dogs in a pack and six hot dog buns in a pack and never the two shall meet. And that just, really, you're smiling. Like, that's what I did. I was like, oh my God. And I, I you had, would have really felt that as a mum though. Well, and I had this flash when I was like, two, I, there's always two hot dogs. I always chop them up and put them on the plate beside like the bun. And I'm like, it always annoys me. And so for Heinz to take on that cause was brilliant because it was all about selling more ketchup. But they challenged, you know, the bun makers to make packs of eight instead of packs of six. And it was in every talk show. And it was it was such fun the execution of it the idea was simple it was earned at the core it sat in culture the execution was fun and the impact was huge like they actually got bun companies to start making eight and they were selling more ketchup beautiful but to be honest in the room lots of the jurors just kept looking at me as if i'd lost my mind (laughs) (laughs) because i was so passionate about it do you think we've we are living in a bit of the post-purpose era now because certainly for many years at Cannes, to win a grand prix you had to have a purpose. You had to have, we're going to improve the world through this campaign in some way. Do you think we're maybe over that era now? I'm not sure we're quite there yet. I mean, if you look at the winners last year, they were still predominantly purpose Grand Prix. Um, so I hope this year might be a tipping point. And, and I don't think it's that there's never, that we've had years of there not being that amazing pure play brand. But as I say, I think it's just that we don't look at it with the same respect. And I actually think it's often harder, if I think about the briefs that we get and we work on, it's harder to come up with a brilliant idea that doesn't rely on something that's emotive, that pulls the heartstrings, that tells a story well, it's about ethnicity, gender, prisoners you know whatever it might be that you have to like even judging the work you have to check yourself there's a piece of work that I watched that at the end of it I had like a little like I was a bit choked I was like my god that was incredible 
And then I like did what I've been I asked the jury to do. I was like, when you feel like that about a campaign, I want you just to like walk away and then come back and watch it again and look at it through the lens of what was the brand's real like legitimacy to play in this space. So I came back and I was touched by the cause because it spoke to me. But then when I actually evaluated the campaign, I was like, this is not a good campaign at all. There's no legitimacy for the brand. Now I've looked at the impact. There hasn't really been any impact yet. So it's, I think it is easy. It's easier to really connect with a campaign like that than it is with a pure play brand piece. But actually, it's often harder to do that. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Pure play brand piece. And to be getting commercial results for your client, for your organization, that is, at the end of the day, why we exist. Yeah, making people cry. Make them cry rather than make them buy has been the sort of mantra at uh, Cannes in recent years. And I've been to many press conferences where the president of the jury will give some great soliloquy about how the, the role of the jury was to make the world a better place, which I always thought was a bit strange because really the president of the jury is supposed to be picking the best work and the most effective work. And you've already mentioned that impact is going to be really important. Yeah. And I, I you know, I reflect on last year and think about, you know, the lost class last year was a huge winner across the gun, Canada, the gun control one. gun control in the US. And, you know, I still look back and it was an incredible piece of creative work. I mean, really clever, really beautifully shot, very beautifully delivered, you know, and had an emotional impact. But like, it hasn't changed anything in America. You know, there's been no movement on gun legislation. It's the what we're at 2023 with the worst number of um, school shootings, never mind others. So, yeah, I look back on that piece of work and I think, God, we were all so emotionally invested in that piece of work because it really spoke to us and because we all wish that <laughs> action, many of us wish, I shouldn't say everybody does, many of us wish that they would take action on gun legislation in the US. But we got, I mean, my view now on reflection is we got carried away with that because hasn't, now look, if I, I'm quite good at arguing with myself. So I could say, well, actually what it achieved was a, a group in America who hadn't thought about gun crime in that way certainly started thinking about it differently. Okay, but, you know, is that really the mark of impact on a Cannes yeah, Grand Prix? I, th- I think it's the acid test of any great campaign is did it work? You know, yeah. what, what what did it really achieve? And I always think of the um, Campaign for Real Beauty, Dove, which won many awards at Cannes Amazing over the campaign. years. And I think it did work. I, I, I wrote a, a book about them, not promoting my own book, but <laughs> I, I wrote a book about this, um, talking about campaigns that shook the world. But um, I think Dove campaign did work in the sense, I do think it changed the attitudes of female beauty in the media over time. Yeah, and, um, and it's longevity to that point. They're still doing it today. I mean, you look at their latest campaign, which is all linked to... Um, 
how women are seeing themselves, young women are seeing themselves in social media and the impacts of that in terms of self-harm, eating disorders, like all of that, like they're still in the depths of that issue and shining a light on it. And I think they are making a difference there. So I think it's absolutely right for their brand. They are committed to long-term and they keep creatively reinventing it, which again, for a campaign that's been that successful, it's so hard. So absolute kudos to those teams. Shows what a great idea it was at its heart, I guess, if they can keep on rolling it out year after year. So you were saying that the PR industry is ripe for winning a Grand Prix, you know, have you seen, therefore, a kind of real shift in the quality of the creativity coming out of the PR industry? I mean, if we think about, you know, the investment in really amazing creative teams in the industry now, is that something that you're really starting to show through in the work, do you think? I do. I think that we're at early stages because I think it takes time, right, from when you invest in it and then you build that confidence in clients that you've invested it in the right way. And then you build the trust that you can take a big campaign and layer it in a way that will have the impact that they desire. So there's some, yeah, there's some beautiful work coming out of the industry, but not enough at this point. So I think it is about those teams that have been built, those creative teams that have been built across the industry, from big agencies to the boutiques. I think it's them having the partnership with the account teams is critical. And again, this is a piece that the ad agencies have nailed over many decades. I think there's a piece now in the PR world in our own way, because we're going to do it different to the ad agency world, that that partnership between the account team and the creative team and how they go as a joint force to the client to really get the biggest ideas through. Because I think, you know, Danny, you were saying before, like, does clients really trust the PR agency to take that bigger budget and that much bigger stakes campaign and see it through end to end? Well, I think yes, in some cases, but no, not everywhere yet. So there's a piece about us doing our own work internally so that when we show up to the client, they see that united front, they get that confidence, and then we start to see more and more work coming out of UK PR agencies. And also whether we still got the permission for that brief too, right? Because, I mean, there was a, you know, a massive golden moment where PR agencies were on level pegging, like the best idea wins that will get carried through the business. And actually, I think there was a definite shift in the last few years where actually the ad agency started to get much more at the top of the tree. And, you know, PR was tending to move a bit more back to bag carrying in a way that they hadn't been for a while. Do you think do you think there's still, you know, elements of that that are still kind of showing through? I don't know. I mean, I can only really speak from the Ketchum experience um, in terms of the reality of day to day. And actually, I think in more of our clients than ever, we've at least got an equal seat at the table in terms of best idea wins. We definitely have permission to bring big creative ideas. In fact, we get asked repeatedly, we want more, we want more, keep pushing us, keep pushing us. So I think the value of PR, certainly from our experience, has never been so high. I think where we need to really focus our efforts is that layered approach to then how the idea rolls out. Um, so can we dig into that? Because yeah. when you say layered approach, are you thinking multi-channel effectively? Multi-channel, multi-like mo- moments, like tempo moments for the campaign. I think too many times in PR, we still think it's a one and done. So we've got the idea. It's a brilliant idea. Here's the execution. And then we move on. And that's fine. And there's some great work that 
comes out from doing that. But actually, when you're looking at the type of work we've just been talking about, that's just not enough. So when you've got a great idea, how do you then take that multi-channel how do you take it multi-touch points? How do you show that it can be reinvented in six months, 12 months, five years time? Because that is the, that's when you know you've got a brilliant idea. So that, the vision piece, I can totally see. Advertising agency is absolutely fantastic at selling that. It's so interesting what you say about the, the multi-layering because I always think of PR agencies, the really good PR agencies that have done that kind of work over the last 20 years have the ability to look at the world in a 360 way that I often feel advertising agencies don't do and actually can just try and solve a brief with a 30-second ad and add some bits on top of it that, that take it into different places. But it sounds like ad agencies are potentially even shifted in Definitely their ability have. to be able to deliver those multi-touch points, especially across social, digital, use of content, 100%. And look, the, the, that democratisation of channels has benefited both ad agencies and PR agencies. You know, like at Ketchum, we've been doing above the line for a number of our clients now because we can. We've got the in-house production facilities. You know, we took, uh, for one of our clients, we took uh, an influencer campaign that we put together and we sold it. So it was so successful that we then pitched, like, she should now be your above the line uh, in your next ad campaign. They were like, right, okay, can you do it? Because she trusts you, you're, you're a partner. Yes, we can. So it can go both, that blurring of boundaries can go both ways. I just think we in the PR industry, we stop ourselves short too often when we don't have to. And sometimes clients will say no, but that doesn't mean you go back and do it again the next time. So I think sometimes when we get a no, we're like, they don't want to do that. And it's like, well, they didn't want to do it this time there's an arrogance and a confidence in ad agencies that we in PR too often leave at the door. You know, we're easy to work with. We like all of the things that are said about the PR like element of a, a kind of agency group. We don't always want to be that. Like we need to be a bit more sharp elbowed. We need to be a bit more demanding of the client. Like you have to do this because this is the long-term impact it will have. So but there is an incredible dance as well that advertising agencies do as well. It is a, it's an absolute art, isn't it? Where yeah. they can take the client on such a journey for a long period of time that PR agencies sort of have that work concertinaed into a matter of weeks and it's probably like the first couple of slides of a deck. Whereas actually that journey that you then go hand in glove with a client on to deliver that kind of strategic insight before you're even getting to the creative work and the, and the way that it's elevated to the client as well yeah with that confidence I think is 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 a real art that you don't often see in PR agencies I would say I think that's right and it's something we need to we need to nurture and evolve and learn I mean there's also a piece though about how you show the client what they could have won you know we had an example last year where we did an amazing campaign we'd pitched we'd like sold to them a really layered long campaign they bought one bit of it and then I went to lunch with the CMO and they were like, oh, we, there was so much more we could have done with that campaign, Joanne. And I was like, oh, that door has just been opened. And I was like, well, I'll come in and talk to you about where we went wrong. And so we went back in and I said, look, here's what we originally pitched. Here's what we were allowed to do. Here's where we could take it now. It's going to have to go in a different direction. They were like, but why did we stop at that point? I said, well, that's a question we have to answer together. So you can start to have that more mature conversation where 
that partnership between you like you grow like the best agency client partnerships where you're growing together and you have that level of trust where you can push back on each other and say actually you didn't let us do that when it could have been so much more impactful for your brand and your product i remember that story about um, do you remember the fearless girl campaign which was a big can winner probably I seven or eight fear. years seven ago eight, one of my yeah. there's a there's a story about this which may be a myth I think um, McCann came up with the idea of the fearless girl, the 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 girl in Wall Street standing facing down the, the, the famous bull of Wall Street. And um, the rumour was that McCann Erickson had the idea and that they were pitching this idea to many different financial institutions. State Street advisors were the one who bought it. But that just goes to show what you're saying about confidence. So the ad agency comes up with a great idea and kind of it's up to you, client, if you buy this or not, as opposed to the other way around. Well, it was a brilliant, there's a story like from one of the people that worked for me who came from ad agencies where we would, we'd done this campaign, the client had bought one bit of it that we thought was really important in terms of that impact story. And they were like, well, let's just do it anyway. <laughs> we were all like, no, we can't, like, absolutely not. And they were like, why can't we just do it? We'll just pay for it. We'll do that bit of it. I said, like, we can't do that. It's the client's decision whether we do it or not. And like, well, the client doesn't have the budget. It's not they don't want to do that bit. And like, we had this massive internal debate. And he said to me, in the ad agency, no one would have blinked. We'd have just gone, yep, yeah, let's go do it because it'll make it more of a, like, it'll make more of a win a We'll win a can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it showed like this attitudinal piece. Now, I don't think we should all become like ad agencies. That's absolutely not my dream, that's for sure. But there's just there's traits and behaviours that we can learn from. Don't have to do it in the same way because there's all the stereotypes about ad agencies for all the reasons we know. And arrogance is one that we certainly don't want to take in. But com- like not arrogance, but confidence. Like just twe- tweaking it and switching it for us in the PR industry world, I think would just take us to that next level. So Joanne, you're a, a big campaigner on uh, on DNI and diversity. How important is that um, to the judging of Cannes this year and the sort of campaign success that comes out of it? Well, we're certainly, when we look at the work, looking for work that is going to have an impact on a diversity of audiences and also that cultural connection. So if this is aimed at a minority group of some sort, how is the cultural insight really relate to that group? So from the work point of view, we're definitely looking at it. What I'm excited about in terms of where Can is taking this is for the first time this year, they are collecting data on the diversity of the teams that created the work that's been submitted to Can. So this will be a benchmark year where you can really see you know, is is the work that's winning from more creative teams or less? Like, it's just going to be so rich in terms of uh, what we can take out of it. What I suspect will then happen, whether it's next year or the year after, that data will start being shared in the judging room so that we can see the type of groups of people that brought this work to life. And look, my I am absolutely passionate about diversity in this industry and it's been really the, my number one priority at Ketchum in the UK uh, while I've been CEO there and at first hand I can see the difference in the quality of the work the more the diverse team that's worked on it so when I started at Ketchum UK we were 8% non-white we're now up to 30% non-white and you see the quality of the team's that come together, the different discussion they have, 
the pushing of boundaries, the challenging of each other in a way that didn't happen when we were predominantly one ethnicity. And that goes across you know, gender, it goes across disability, it goes, it, you build that diverse team and diverse voices. You get lived experience that we haven't had in the monoculture we've had in our industry before, and it just keeps pushing the work. It's just more relevant. I remember we showed a piece of work we did for Adobe called Love the Journey with Little Sims, and it was played at a, a conference, actually, and at the end of it, someone came up to me who was from that community and said, you could tell that it was people who actually have lived experience of that journey of being someone of colour, wanting to be in the creative industries and their parents basically saying, no, I want you to go in a more sustainable job. I want you to be a doctor or a, a lawyer or whatever it might be. It's like, because that story has been told before, but it's never spoke to me in such an authentic way. Like I could see all those little nuances that really meant it came from the community and so when that happens, again, when you talk about impact, the impact's so much greater when it's true to the community you're trying to speak to. So I I really believe that if agencies aren't doing the hard work right now, first of all, building an inclusive culture, because if you can't build an inclusive culture, you can diversify all you want, but people just rotate right back out your organization. So really teaching people how to accept people for who they are where they come from, what they look like, what they think, and using that in a creative melting pot is so important, then you'll diversify your agency and then you will be sustainable for the long term and you'll win more awards. I'm sure, I'm sure of that. But if you're not doing that hard work now, you should sit down and ask yourself, do you think you're still going to exist in five to 10 years? Because I truly believe that you're not. And I suppose it also applies to the client side as well, because it's the client who approves the idea for their brand. If they've got a diverse team, they're more likely to spot a good idea and, and follow it through. It's not just agency diversity. Yeah, and we've talked before about procurement client side being more demanding of agencies to be more diverse. What's interesting is a lot of the time they're slowing down because on their side, they're not diverse either. And so there's a bit of a holding the mirror. I'm saying, how can we be saying to this agency, like how diverse you show your metrics and then they turn up to a meeting and it's a room of all the same people. And so this is definitely push and pull to client side and to agency side and saying like, of course it's the right thing to do, but actually from a long-term business success point of view, it's critical. And you know, Declaration of Interest, Procter & Gamble are uh, one of my clients, but the work that Procter & Gamble have done in this space internally in terms of their own inclusive uh, culture, their own commitment to diversification, but also they are, you know, widening the screen is big campaign that they've done in terms of supporting diverse communities into creative advertising film more generally. That's the sort of commitment you want to see and they are very demanding of their agency. So, yeah, you see when, when a client is, you can see they're doing the hard work themselves. That's really motivating for the agencies that work with them. Presumably if P&G is doing that, Unilever will be doing it as well. So you're having a, a and also, effect and across Mars. the industry. It has an impact. And if P&G can do it, anybody can do it. This is the thing I always say, you know, it's one of the reasons why I, I talk a lot about this from a Ketchum point of view. Because I always say if a big agency like Ketchum can achieve these sorts of results, everybody can. Like It's just about the amount of time and money that you really focus and you're really clear about what, set the goal and once you meet it, set the next goal and once you meet it. like That journey is 
it's never ending and it's really hard and there are some really horrible moments <laughs> as you're trying to do it but the return on that is it's absolutely brilliant so just finally, obviously the big buzzword is AI at the moment. Um, what impact is generative AI having across the whole of the can industry? I and mean, I can imagine there's there's a lot a of huge, AI huge, work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> huge number of ways and means that AI is having an impact. Well, I don't know. I'm I'm a bit of a skeptic on these like rolling like themes. Last year it was all about the metaverse, mm. and there was a huge amount of work really entered about the metaverse. Fast forward 12 months, there's almost nothing. In fact, I'm challenging myself to think if I've seen maybe one metaverse idea this year. So, you know, 12 months is a short period of time for that complete 180. But look, AI, I do think slightly different. I think that it is it is going to be... It's here to stay. It's here to stay. Yeah. And it, it, it's actually, you know, with a metaverse is something you have to go to, <laughs> which I think was always going to be a barrier. We all went through Second Life and had some questions, well, didn't we? Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, Whereas AI is going to be part of how we just live and work every day. And um, I saw, I can't take credit for this because I saw this quote um, on LinkedIn the other day and it really spoke to me where it basically said, AI isn't going to steal your job, but a human who knows how to use it oh, is. That was a PR Week podcast. It was our, was last, it? It was was our it? last podcast. Oh, I love it. Well, there you go. There's yes, the that power and influence. quote from the, uh, Terrifying. the woman at WPP that Hilla Knowlton said that. So uh, I, I yeah. thought it spoke to me, and I think that's absolutely right. It's like just because we're a bit frightened of it doesn't mean that it's wrong. So, you know, I love all the work that's been done on ethics and responsibility in AI. I think it's really important. But there are some interesting AI campaigns, <laughs> particularly from the automotive industry, actually, which is unsurprising as you think about where they are in their trajectory of using AI in their products and services. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm not sure there's any can... Well, I was, I was just wondering whether you're, you see, I, I wrote a piece recently saying that um, it's amazingly easy now to use generative AI to create fake stuff like uh, videos. And, and you know, I wonder if you'll have any entries that have been created by a Using robot <laughs> and, and, and I wonder yeah. whether you'll be able to spot it if they have. If they have, totally. It'll be absolutely fascinating whether that that's the case and Probably not. It's the answer. It's going to be really, really difficult. And it's that's the scary thing. Like you can put people in places they never were. You can, you know, you can create moments in time that never existed. That's that is frightening. You can create work that was never. Although I have to say, can are really good at checking whether work actually. You know, they've got some hard and fast rules, and they do. They're very thorough at checking whether work really did exist and really did make it into the real world. If we know what that is anymore. Gosh, so I think, wow, I think that brings us to the end of this week's show. So when when are you off? I'm just trying to think. When 16th of June, that flight takes off. It's only a few weeks now. I keep thinking cans miles away and then I keep realising it's just a few weeks. And Danny, you're obviously going to be there as well. I'll be there as well, yep. I'll be covering the uh, the PR lines and finding who Joanna's judged to be the, the winner on <laughs> the Wednesday. Me, not just me, there's a whole group of you and, you, and your You and your team. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it and... Perhaps we'll do a podcast from 
Live from Cannery. Live from Cannery. You can gloat about how, what a lovely time you're having and how much raising you're drinking. Work. It's hard oh. work. I agree with that, Danny. It's very hard work. I, think I have to say Danny that every Ro- year. I the choice between being the president of the, the jury or being Danny Rogers at PR Week. Who's having the best time here? What do we think? I think we'll balance that out. Joanne does all the work. Oh, well, right. I, I wish you both um, the very best can and, and we'll look forward to hearing all about it when you get back. Or maybe one with there. So thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Um, we hope you've enjoyed the show and we'll very much look forward to you joining us next time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.